0: oh what are we on tape delay what is that there you go oh my god all right So how many live people do we have in here Two. welcome to the fourth episode of the justin spaulding show i was justin spaulding we've had technical difficulties today running late had some got a big closing on tuesday so things are kind of hectic around here and a lot of things going on at the properties that we already have. So we had meetings, I had meetings about that and phone calls about that all day. I'm still getting signature pages in and scanned in for the deal. So I pushed everything back a little bit or I didn't, not intentionally. And then we having technical problems, the internet not, not working, Rider, riders having issues today too with the technology. So uh, episode four, we do have questions. We were supposed to have a guest, but the guest the guest we decided to wait until Wednesday night because uh, he's actually a school teacher, so he didn't want to be on like a live show. And we were having technical dis- difficulties, uh, but he didn't want to be on a live show. I think when he was supposed to be at school was part of it. So we're gonna do it Wednesday night, six thirty live with the guest next week. So that'll be Justin Spaulding Show episode five, right? Yep, Justin Spaulding Show number five. But this is Justin Spaulding Show episode four. And, uh, if you don't know who I am, thank you so much for joining us, uh, business, real estate entrepreneur. We own, uh, well on Tuesday, it'll be 700 units apartment units in South central, southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, I own a painting company. Um, I initially got started in sales and I basically took all my savings and started dumping into real estate. So you can find out more about my story by just starting to follow along. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and then obviously all of you guys who are uh, been following for a long time, thank you for joining again um i have fun doing this i know like i feel like we get like four or five or eight to ten people that'll watch live which i feel like half them is my family so it kind of cracks me up but you know i think we've got like 600 to 700 views on the playback so we're we're getting there you know i know people have enjoyed it people getting some value out of it and i'm just i'm kind of having fun doing it so we're just going to keep doing it and see what happens and uh hopefully you guys can share this With other people hopefully you'll subscribe um you know leading up if you haven't joined us before leading up to the shows we're always posting in different social media uh uh, sites asking to take your questions so any questions you have revolving around money life business real estate um entrepreneurship uh, sports. We get some sports questions every now and then, you know, just whatever. We're, we're looking to have uh, some conversation and we'll, we'll keep having guests as we kind of go forward here. So, uh, and I'm, I'm streaming live too on Instagram right now, uh, streaming live on YouTube. Um, if you're just listening to this, thanks for listening as well. Um, but subscribe, keep following us. Let's get into the first question. <clears throat> it's a financing question. So Ed Moran, Ed's been following me for a while. Ed, thank you so much for following me. I see your name pop up uh, pretty frequently and Ed's question and I read the questions out loud. So if you're watching, I know that you can see the questions, but if you're just listening, I read the questions out loud. So the people that are just listening, uh, whether live or on replay can uh, understand what we're talking about his question, two part question. Gotta love the two for one people. I love it. I'm a two for one guy. I like getting two for one deals. So ed's going for the two for one deal today number one financing options i have used and then number two is uh so he's asking me what financing options i have used and then number two due to due diligence i oh do no, due diligence best practices um will the show be on demand after youtube yep ed the show will be on demand on youtube after it is live on youtube so going to number one financing options that i have used um <clears throat> we've used seller financing we've used regular, you know, recourse bank financing. Um, and we've used, uh, you know, Fannie Freddie may CMBS loan that is non-recourse financing. Um, so a little bit of difference in the financing options, right? Um, we've also used adjustable rate financing or a floating rate, uh, financing, um, which we're actually going to do for the first time coming up here in the deal that we close on Tuesday. So I'll talk a little bit about, um, each of those, uh, you know, number one, the the bank financing, that's your more traditional type financing. It's a financing you think of when you're gonna go get a, you know, riders looking at four units and what a seven unit, right, in Rockford, right? So riders been looking at stuff and, um, you know, the the stuff that I started out with was more traditional, just bank financing. So it'll be amortization over 25 to 30 years, uh, meaning the loan gets uh, paid back over uh, 25 to 30 years. It'll be like a five-year term. So You'll get the loan, the loan will be good for five years on a payback schedule of 25 to 30 years, right? So you're amortizing over 25 to 30 years, but the loan is only good for five year, a five-year term. So that means after the five years, you gotta refinance or go to another bank or stay with the same bank, whatever. But you're gonna to have to find another loan because at the end of the five years, typically there's a balloon payment so uh we've used that there you know typically when you work with a bank you got it's a recourse loan so you're gonna have to sign on the line uh as far as like a a guarantor you're gonna have to be you have to be a guarantor and it's a recourse so you're personally liable for the loan if anything goes wrong right which could obviously sink you and there's risks there so you want to make sure when you're doing this thing you're doing it right um that's one option and those are those can be pretty competitive uh interest rates um you know right now they're depending on experience and all that stuff, they're probably between three and 4%. Um, You know, we're getting bank rates right now that are at 3%, 3 3.2%. Then when you're looking at um, Fannie and Freddie type debt, um, that is more, it's non-recourse, right? So you're still a guarantor, you still gotta sign a guarantee, but the guarantee and you're only personally guaranteeing it if you break the rules and they're called the bad boy carve outs. So, if the deal were just a crash and burn, we'd just be out our initial investment. They're not gonna come after us for the rest of the loan. They're gonna take over the property, they're gonna sell the property, you know, whatever, right? Uh, as, as the lender, that's what they would do. They're not gonna come after us unless we break the rules, which is, you know, one of those rules is fraud. So if we lie on our financial statements that we send them or, you know, during the due diligence process, whatever, that can turn the loan and make it into recourse. Um, there's a couple other, you know, bad boy carve outs there. Um, but not necessarily worth getting into for this question. Uh, but it's a great great option because you know you can go get a nine million, 10 million, $20 million loan and it's non-recourse, right? So if it does fail, you're out the capital that you put in, they're not gonna come after you. Like the regular bank debt, they're gonna come after you for the rest of that. You got a personal guarantee. You're probably gonna have to file bankruptcy if you lose it. Um, the deal with Fannie and Freddie, typically you know, you'll see a seven year or a 10 year, sometimes a 12 year term. It'll be amortized over 25 or 30 years. A lot of times it's 30 years. You can get interest only with that, which is very rare with a regular bank financing. So if Ryder goes out, and just like I did for my first deals, I use Ryder cause he's at the point right now where I was eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, and he's going out looking at deals, trying to find someone to finance them, a bank to finance them. And same thing with me. Um, I lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah, the difference between Fannie and Freddie, um, I don't know, whatever. So so Fannie, Freddie, uh, non-recourse, you're gonna have interest only, that's what I was getting at. The, the banks won't have, it's very unlikely for them to do interest only. Some, some scenarios they will, but with Fannie, Freddie or a CMBS loan, you'll be able to get, whether it's you know two years interest only on the loan, meaning you're not having to pay principal back, right? So there's more, ca- more cash flow available to fix up the property or to distribute out. Um, the property that we closed down in November of uh, 2019, yes, November 2019, the 199 unit, that was actually 10 year term, amortized over 30 years. And the 10 that whole 10 year term, the 10 years of financing, all of it's interest-free. So we're not paying back principal at all. Um, but there we were able to do that because between myself, I was able to sell the plan that we have and the lender also bought it, which these are smart people that we're dealing with here. They're They know their stuff um, that we're really buying at a low enough basis to justify the 10 years of interest only that 10 year interest only loan. I I think we were like 20, we had to put down, you know, 28%, I think. So we also had to put down a little bit more than 20, 25% to get that 10 years of interest only. So there's, there's some differences there, you know, with Fannie and Freddie, they're also going to make you, or the CMBS loans. They're also going to make you escrow your taxes with them every month, your insurance with them every month. They're gonna have mandatory reserves uh, that you're gonna to have to set aside every single month with them to take care of future things with the properties. So there's more, because it's non-recourse, with Fannie and Freddie, there are more like restrictions with stuff like that. There's more um, there's more compliance that you need to roll with as opposed to your regular regional bank. They're gonna give you that loan and they're gonna let you roll with it essentially. Um, you don't have a lot of those uh, clauses that you do in the, the... Fannie and Freddie. Um the um, CMBS Fannie Freddie um, seller financing so we've used seller financing before and typically seller financing will be just a portion it's not going to be the entire uh, debt chunk so you'll use a bank and then like the seller they might be able to finance part of your down payment so what we did with one of the four units that bought back in 2013 2014 one of the two um, we ended up it was a $180,000 purchase we put down we were supposed to put down 20% but we actually only had to put down as owners only had to put down 5% the seller put in 15% and then the bank did the rest so that 15% that the seller put in it was it's called seller financing right and so we basically paid the seller over the next 5 6 years something like that the rest of that 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 seller financing um so that that's always an option. Uh, we also use the seller financing when we did the storage unit deal, right? Seller seller financing. It you know it's not always going to happen. Uh, the the seller has to be in the right position to be able to do seller financing. They have to basically have you know enough equity uh, in the project already to to want to do or to be enticed to even do seller financing. Which you know the storage unit deal we bought for 1.2 million dollars and the uh, the that seller. He only had like two hundred, that three hundred thousand dollars of debt on it, so he was fine holding. It was like fifteen percent or something like that as well, um, because he was still going to get a big chunk, a big payout chunk, and he's like, whatever, I'll hold this. And he wasn't, no one else was coming by to to buy it from him, so he's like, this is my only option. This is what I'll do, and it, it worked out for him. I mean, you know, he got paid interest, and um, we ended up paying him off, I think, in like two years um when we refinance to buy the other property um so it worked out so that's the, those are the financing options that we've used um you know and once again when when you're talking about interest rate um interest rate's going to be it just kind of depends right i mean um the bank you know the more risky it is for the bank they're going to charge you more interest so it's, if it's your first project like Ryder, like if it's his first project he goes out and gets these these four, four unit or seven unit he'll probably be charged a higher interest than i would from my bank right? And probably by whether it's 100 basis points or 50 basis points or 150 basis points, I don't know. But the more experience you have, the more of a track record you have, the, the more of a relationship you have with the lender, the the better terms that you'll typically start to get. The other type of financing, which this is going to be our first time using floating rate, Um, so the deal that we're closing uh, next Tuesday we're using a floating rate financing Um, so basically you every single month the the rate adjusts and the reason that I wanted to do that is because I would I just wanted to have uh, I wanted to start transitioning our portfolio over to have different options because we have long-term debt we have some medium-range debt and I think it's gonna be good to have some short-range debt especially on some things that could be flipped in two years four years five years if we were to sell the Waukesha property, which we bought, that's the property I talked about earlier with the CMBS loan, that's a 10-year term. That means if we sell before year 10, we're gonna have big prepayment penalties. It's called defeasance. You're gonna have to make up basically the money, the interest, and and the money that they missed out on for the rest of your payments ahead of time. So if we sell in year six, we're still gonna have to pay them interest. Essentially, what we're gonna have to do is essentially pay them interest all the way through year 10, which that's gonna be massive, right? So we don't. Um, we don't uh, necessarily want to do that. Um, with this floating rate, we can we'll be able to sell at any time, and we'll have you know a, a, a zero to a one percent prepayment penalty is all. So it just gives us more options, and that's why we're looking at doing it. And uh, the rest of the terms just made sense for us to do it. We could refinance it again in another two years when the interest only is up and um, lock in more of a fixed fixed rate and get another two to four years of interest only it just gives us a lot of a lot more options and so that's why I wanted to go that route it made sense for this deal I never man I can just talk about some of this stuff forever so I never want to like uh always do things the same and I never only want to look at one thing when I'm doing deals I want to be able to look at the entire picture and when you looked at the entire picture for this deal it made sense to go this route um so that's that's that um Ed also asked about due diligence practices, best practices. Um, you know, you're gonna have your environmentals. You're gonna have your surveys. You're gonna have your, you know, we, you know, I know a lot of people that don't go through all the units. We go through as many units as we can of the deal, whether it's 199 units, you know, 300 units, 40 units. Um, this deal that we're closing on Tuesday, we went through ballpark 75 to 85 percent of the units, so we we at least got to get in to see to kind of know what we're walking into. Because what I've found, even when we do that, we still run into unanticipated things that we have to take care of, whether it's plumbing issues or you know water heater issues, whatever it might be. There's still issues, but we like to try to eliminate a lot of the issues. If we if we go through, you know, 80, 90, 100 percent of the units and it's way off of what we thought it was or what the seller represented, well then now we can either renegotiate the deal or we know that we gotta bring more money to the table to be able to fix these things, right? So we just don't want, we, we wanna to try to limit as many surprises as possible in the due diligence phase. So the other thing that, that we do is um, we, you know, our controller Ava did for this deal, she did all the lease audits. So we go through and we just make sure that the rent rolls and, and uh, the rent roll has the right amount of rent and security deposit and um, the lease information, as far as like when the lease starts, when, when the lease ends, and make sure that those match the actual leases. When you're buying a property, you want to make sure your leases are, are um, you know, I guess you don't want to surprise, right? I bought deals that are just month to month leases. Fine. I knew about it. Right. But it would suck if you went into a deal thinking everything was a year long lease. In that you're planning it for to be a to, planning for everything to be on a year-long lease and all of a sudden you find out uh oh, crap we got everything on a month-to-month uh deal here so that's why you do your lease audits if you find out all those things but also doing the lease audits, that's where you find out where your opportunity lies as well so and you, and you can confirm that there is that opportunity so Roger, does that make sense yeah that's a lot right is yeah. that overwhelming yeah, that's good though no 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 that's good i feel overwhelmed when i'm talking this fast sometimes and maybe it's just because we have so much going on right now. I don't know. Ready to watch Green Bay win on Saturday? Question mark. Final score p- prediction. Question mark. Mine is 28-17 Green Bay. So obviously I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. This is Grant Stewart that asked this question, and Grant's good at predicting stuff. I'll never forget in uh like fifth grade. Any of you guys that are hardcore Packer fans or Ohio State fans know the name Nile Niall Diggs. Grant Stewart predicted that the Packers were gonna draft Niall Diggs and they, they drafted Nile Diggs, and he played for the Packers for like five, six years or whatever. So, Grant's probably right on his prediction. Um, I'm, going, I'm going 35-14 is what I'm going. Rams winning? No, Packers winning. I Dude, this Devontae Adams-Jalen uh, uh, Ramsey matchup that everyone's talking about, I think Devontae is going to take it to him. I do. <laughs> probably. But. And Ryder's a Bears fan, so he's like disagreeing with me and shaking his head right now. I, I don't disagree, I just... 35-14 Packers, uh, and then let's see. So then we'll play the winner of the Saints-Buccaneers. We're going to play the Buccaneers because I don't think – I think the Saints beat the Buccaneers twice, right, in the regular season. I'm pretty sure. I'm 99% sure. Yeah. We're, we don't always talk facts around here. We're kind of like CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, so we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants too. But pretty sure Pretty sure Drew Brees – you want to Google that quick? Yeah. Pretty sure Drew Brees, Brees beat Tom Brady twice this year. Anyone in Instagram know? I think so, gonna take down so I think Tom Brady and the Bucks are going to come to Lambeau uh, for the NFC Championship game, which would be a week from Sunday, I believe, a week from this Sunday. Um, yeah, so the Saints won both times. So, so, so Drew, Bre- uh, Drew Brees is not going to beat Tom Brady three times in one season. That has never happened before. There's no way that's ever happened before. Yeah. Not going to start now. Um, all right, next question. We got ten live viewers on Instagram. That's seven now. Seven over there. Yeah, stepping up to big leagues. Uh, <clears throat> advice for property loan approval. And in parentheses, it said have good credit, of course. So they're looking for something beyond just having good credit. Advice for property loan approval. I mean, my biggest thing. Obviously, I just talked about financing, and you know, the the deal has to be right for the financing, right, for you to even get the loan approved now i guess this is a good place to build on because now now what you what you also need to do to really uh get the bank or the lender on board with you is to have a good plan too right i mean you want to separate yourself number one people just go to banks i don't know 50 percent of the people probably go to a bank and they just roll in and say hey here's the deal they don't have an actual plan right when you go the fanny freddy route that i talked about before you gotta have a plan because they make you have a plan. It's pretty detailed and it's uh it's it can be overwhelming. It's a lot, but if you're just starting and you're gonna be using a bank anyways, because no one that's just starting that if you're buying an eight unit, you won't be using Freddie Mac or you know uh, Fannie Mae most likely. So if you're using if you're using a bank, you you put a business plan together. It can be one page, two page, three pages long, but. Hey, this is the income it's going to have over the first, you know, each and have it broken down by year, right? Uh, Year one, this is the revenue. Year two, year three, year four, year five. If you have those revenues going up, well, then have an explanation of what your plan is to get those revenues going up. What justifies it? Like anyone can just pull it out of their their butt and like write down a higher number. Um, so you want to have a plan because it, just having a plan and having something on paper is going to separate you from whether it's 50 to 75 to 90% of the people that go through there um so have a plan um same thing with the expenses you know um learn learn uh take take a look at the financials and Ryder asked me something the other day when he was in here how'd you know because on my one of my deals that i first bought i bought it and there was a dumpster that was there we paid like 200 a month for the dumpster something like that 300 a month for the dumpster and what i ended up finding out when i read um the local municipal tax code or whatever the real estate tax what was included in my real estate taxes i found out that trash removal was actually included in my property taxes that i was paying i just had to pick up the phone and call to get my uh the bin. bins delivered can't even think of the word bins around here i had to call to get my bins delivered and then the the tenants they would fill their bins they each had their own bin they would take it out to the curb i got rid of the dumpster which is 200 ish 300 a month it was 2400 to 3600 a year When you're talking eight units that's a big 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 cost savings uh so so to be able to include that in your business plan to find out like where can you save money and how but then also if you can go above and just have more than numbers but just even if it's a sentence two sentence description on how you're doing each of these things the bank the bank like the bank is a business partner of yours that's how you got to view it so you got to tell them you got to show them as a business partner um how and why they should be investing with you Right. So separate yourself, be detailed, have a business plan. Um, I know that really helped me especially on, and it. it helps me now. Um, but also not only does it help me get the bank like get the get the loan, it also just helps me realize, oh, okay, this is like a for sure thing. This is a for sure deal. And it helps me get rid of a lot of anxiety. I have right now I have zero anxiety wiring ten point two million dollars next week to to do this deal. I don't have because we've done all of our homework on it. Right. So um so, and, and we've got a plan in place. We know what we're going to be doing. Um, so that's my advice on that. I'm good. Me. Figured it would. All right. Next question is advice building relationships with banks. Um, so these questions are kind of building on top of each other. I'm going to try to not be repetitive. So then the advice building relationships with banks, Um. Did you do this on purpose? How you no, I did not. No. You should have just taken credit for that. Because I'd have been like, wow, that's impressive. Uh (laughs) um. So advice building relationships with banks. So, on top of everything I just kind of said there, now once you do one deal with a bank and they they um see that you're a success, they're gonna want to do more deals. Like, they can't write you checks big enough and often enough to go out and do deals because banks get paid. What you guys don't realize is You know banks want you to save money so that they can go out and lend more right they want to lend money that's how they make money um and so advice building relationships with banks like when you start to perform you're gonna get um number one you never just want to corner yourself with one bank right you always want to have options so like when i'm doing things i'm always most projects not not all the time anymore because of these relationships i just kick the camera because of these relationships, so not every time am I shopping because I don't want to be the guy that shops every single time if I'm getting treated well, uh, fairly. But you want to be able to keep a bank honest too, right? So if you do a if you do a first good deal with a bank where they're excited to do a second deal with you, my advice is that second and third and fourth deal, you really include them and say, hey guys, look, I'm I'm I want to go with you guys and continue to build this relationship, but. I'm, I'm going to get other quotes too. And just be honest with them. I'm going to get other quotes too. This is sitting, this is with two or three other banks right now looking at it, but you guys are going to have, you guys are going to be my first choice. As long as you guys can be competitive, you got to be competitive. Cause I'm going to go with what makes the most financial sense for this deal. Right? And so when you start to do that, have that conversation with them. um, And then you get to a point where, you know, you might be able to go right to them. I've gone to them after I've done two or three deals with a bank. I've gone to them at that point. Hey, this is yours. If you can give me this exact rate right now. And I know it's competitive, but it might not be the the absolute best rate, because I might be in a scenario where I need to save time to close the deal with the seller, right? I need to wrap the deal up quicker. Um, Those relationships help. So I I just think being able to um, stay in contact with the banks, um, you know, shoot them. There's some banks that will require you to send financials like yearly. If it's your first or second project, send them like quarterly to the banker to show them that you're excited, to show them the progress already. To be in his ear they'll keep thinking about you right um they'll want to do more business with you so that's something banks will eventually start to invite you to, to to certain things whether it's sporting events or whatever show up because number one it it helps you build that relationship with the banker um which is good for you and them but also like you never know who you're gonna meet there as well for networking right um i don't know i don't know if i have anything more than that really that that's that's some of my advice is is just keep in communication with them. I guess more of this is is banks. Um, It's it's funny when you don't necessarily need money is when people are willing to lend you when you need money. uh, That's when it's very hard to get money and get a loan. And so sometimes people are like, you know, I think actually my wife asked me, she's like, well, you know, if we don't need it, why don't we just wait, wait and not get that loan out? Because I actually take loans against my credit cards. So like anytime I have a big deal where I'm gonna put in money, I then also go get as much cash out as I can personally from personal lines of credit to have, I'll pay interest on it, right? To just have the cash. I don't need it right now, but I have a lot of cash going into the deal. So I still wanna keep some cash on the sideline, keep it flexible. I can always pay the loan back, you know, if I want to right away. But I just do it so that I have it because I know that if I waited on those credit card loans, and maybe if I needed it four months from now, if I needed it seven months from now, and when I say need it, I need it to, I don't need it to buy shoes or buy a car or get myself out of a jam. I need it to make another investment. I need it to grow my business. It might be harder for me to get. So anytime that I can get access to more cash, I do it. Same thing with the banks, uh, lines of credit and all that stuff. So that's just more of uh, relationships and, and building those relationships with banks and just what your mindset should be. Uh, Cause you gotta realize too, they're a business. Banks make crazy money. You know, you know what Ryder? The do, the, so the next deal that I'm doing is broken into separate parts and there's bank debt on part of it. So I'm working with a regional bank here, right? Did you guys know that all the expenses they have in this deal, so they, when the banks draft loan docs, right? They have attorney do that on bigger deals. Okay. So it's not just a standard thing. They have attorneys do that. Whether it costs them 10000 15000 20000 it really doesn't cost anything because you know who pays for that? I do. Banks are like, it's insane how much money banks make. They have, they have like zero money into the thing and they're going to have the huge down payment. They get, their, they get their loan fees. They then get the interest on the loan, right? They don't even have to pay. They don't have expenses to even operate to get like, it's insane. They cheat the system. So you a bank, I mean, yeah, I don't know all those steps, but it'd be cool. I own in two states, uh, one landlord unfriendly. All right, so some of these people just shorthand their questions. So for those of you just listening, I'll try to elongate the question so it makes sense if you're not just looking at it. This guy says, I own in two states. One of those states is landlord unfriendly. Do I sell? invests in other in another state i am not in distress um so it means his properties must be performing well um he owns in two separate states one of those states is landlord unfriendly do i sell and invest in another state i mean if you're not in distress or don't have a reason to sell you don't obviously you don't have to sell uh, i mean i'm technically i own properties i own two properties in the probably the most tenant common uh counties in the country um in dane Dane county dane county is one of the most tenant and it's up there with like new york city and some stuff that goes on in california um so no i don't think i don't think that just because you own one property in a you know a, a state that's unfriendly to landlords i don't think that necessarily automate automatically makes you sell now if you're in a position in that deal to make good money and then move on to the next deal and perhaps move your money out of that state do you do it yeah why not right um but I don't think I don't I don't think right now that if your deal is doing well, uh, it's cash flowing and you you don't have it's not like you're in over your head on debt. You know, if if things turn backwards for two years, you'd still be able to make it through the other side and you're sitting pretty. I don't I don't see there that that justifies that solely justifies you selling that property. That's just my opinion. Um, but if you've had that property for two, three, four, five years and you've already added a lot of value where you've got a lot of equity you could unlock there i would look at selling that i'm looking at doing that with a couple of our deals right now um deals that we've you know built some equity in um well actually we bought and we already had a lot of equity just because of the way we bought them then we improved them a little bit more put some money into them rents have gone up um we've, we've been able to prove the basically we've been able to prove the business plan I'm looking at just selling because i want to unlock that equity and go rinse and repeat that i want to buy something at the floor and take it to the ceiling right and when i take it towards the ceiling i want to sell it because i built equity because between the floor and the ceiling is equity Uh, i want to sell it unlock that equity now go buy another deal at the floor that's hopefully that deal is a little bit bigger has a little bit more upside whatever put that money to work again take it from the floor towards the ceiling and at some point there sell again and rinse and repeat right now at some point you get enough assets under management where You know, it just makes sense to not necessarily sell everything and, you know, sit on things longer term. But when you're just starting out this, like, this is my advice to Ryder. Like if he's going to go buy a four unit, my advice to him is be in that four unit for as little time as possible. Meaning if you can get in, add your value. And if you can like double your equity in two years, get out, sell it, double your equity, triple your equity, whatever, go out, rinse and repeat. But now rinse and repeat with a 12 unit. Do that same thing with a 12 unit. Do that same thing with a, then, then do that same thing with a 30 unit. Right? And keep going from there. John Hurley, Oh, my dad asked a question. How do you think Urban Meyer will do as an NFL head coach? I think he's going to crush it. I just like, I kind of like Urban Meyer. Jacksonville's due to be a winner, too. But, I mean, they were winning a couple years ago, right? They went to an AFC championship game or something. Yeah. But they're going to... I think Urban Meyer's going to crush it. I think year one, he's gonna go eight and eight. Year two, he's gonna go 10 and six. I'm always so positive, too, <laughs> Unless it's the bears, unless we're talking the bears, I'm gonna be negative. And then, and then Urban Meyer's gonna go 13 and three in his third year, 13 and three. Uh, John Hurley asks, you talked about where you live as not being an investment due to the lack of revenue. Is it safe to say no matter what, you'll probably have one location that won't generate revenue where you live? absolutely wherever you live is is wherever you live is a waste like we're wasteful fat pigs as people right like we just take up space right when you just look at me as a person like i'm just taking up space taking up air you know contaminating air right now spitting all over the place right when i'm talking so i'm talking fast when wherever you live like it's it's a waste essentially when you're talking about actual like we're inefficient we're inefficient people we're not we're not we're, we're inefficient organisms. We're not like us as just as people, we take up space and the space is wasteful. And then we got to buy things that we don't need. And then we got to, you know, do things that we don't mean to do. I mean, I lived when I lived uh, with my college roommates as a side story, we put a bowling ball through the wall. Hmm. We're not doing that to our own homes we live in now. But I mean, so wherever we live, yes, I view that as an expense, right? So that's why I say, even if even if you own, even if you buy a four unit and you go live in one of the units, okay, well, are you paying your LLC rent? Probably not, you're just, you're, you're, you're being wasteful. As a human being, you're just being wasteful. You, you need a place to live and you're living in that unit for free. Great, you're house hacking, it's fine, right? But if you weren't living there, you'd be able to generate revenue in that, in, in that place, right? And then the question is like, okay, but then where I go next, whether I buy it or rent it, I'm still, I'm still wasting my money. Exactly, wherever you're living, it's an expense. Would that change the value of property if you were I mean, house hacking, If not, or not really, because I mean it depends who the buyer is. If it's a novice buyer, like for me, I'd say yes, and I'd use it against them. <laughs> is it always gonna work? You know, the better the market is, the less impact it'll have. The worse the market is, you know, probably more of an impact you have. Because the better the market is, you usually have more people playing the game, more buyers willing to buy. And so less if you have more buyers willing to buy there'll be less people that care about that if you in our worst market where there's less people willing to buy now people can make that be a bigger issue oh well your income says this i'm buying it off the as is income day one right so like um it just kind of depends but yeah i mean i think um does that make sense though what i'm trying to say about us being like wherever i i just cannot get it through people's head enough it doesn't matter like when i buy a house i'm gonna buy it through an llc and i'm gonna rent to myself I'm, it's, it's still like, no matter how you cut it, I get some advantages that way a little bit, just because I have a big enough real estate holding where I can rent, I can go live in one of my apartments if I wanted to, right, whatever. And that, that place is still gonna get the same tax benefits and whatnot. Um, But wherever you're living, like, I, I don't know how, if you own a home, people are like, yeah, well, it's an asset. Well, like, I mean, is it like, it's not paying you every single month. And you're sitting on equity that is now not paying you. And they're like, well, yeah, it'll pay me later. Like, you don't know that. And if it does pay you later, what what's the amount? Like, yeah, I mean, if you sit on something for five years, and if that house goes up 3% per year, when you actually do the math and figure out what you spent on utilities, what you spent on real estate taxes, what you spent on your appliances, and then people are like, well, you have that expense anyways, no matter where you live. And I'm like, exactly, wherever you live is an expense. So... Uh, Now, can you come out ahead sometimes when you do buy your house and whatever and time it right? Yeah. 1%, 2% of people do. But in reality, I'm like, if you actually took that money and started a business, if you actually took that money and bought a rental and ran it like a business, I guarantee, I guarantee, guarantee you would be so farther ahead. There's no way if my first purchase would have been a home, there's no way on earth I'm at where I'm at right now. I'm still renting right now. But there's there's no way because i just know if, if you're banking on the place that you live to be your nest egg that you're, you're not going to get to a point where you have where you have a ton of t- absolute freedom in life and be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it period what benefits purchasing a thousand what would be the point i mean i so like i can rent for myself and i can have a standard lease that our you know company has and then. Um, I can still write off all the interest. I can still write off all the real estate taxes. I can still write off you know the utility like certain, you know, common lease. Whatever our leases look like, a Spalding Group, I'd still be able to count those as expenses. I'm still having to buy furniture as a human, right? Right. So furniture is not, but like, you know, if we want to do improvements to the property, like it'd be treated like a business, which you know, buying it now. Can you necessarily get away with that if that's your only property? I don't know, probably. But if you have a big enough portfolio, like like it's, so. A lot of different ways to do things. And, and by the way, yeah, uh, this one? No, we didn't. No. And by the way, like, I'm saying all this stuff. It's just, it's my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. I'm not trying to battle the thing where, like, I'm right. Like, I might seem that way, but I could care less if you think I'm right or not. I know. I mean, I know I'm right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I'm not trying to argue with you. If you want to think you're right, that's fine. You do, you do it the way you want to do it. And I'll do it the way I want to do it, and that's fine. You know, and we're both happy that way. What metrics do you look at for an investment? Is the next question. Uh, and then the minim- minimum percent to ink the, ink the deal. Um, so I look at a wide variety of metrics. Once again, this goes back to when I answered the financing question. Uh, question earlier i never in in the bank and when i was talking about the bank i never just look at one thing or you know get focused just on one thing i try to look at the whole big picture and so i look at price per unit Uh, i look at um i look at the cap rate i look at you know if there's rent disparity or not i look at uh how much how much deferred maintenance there might be i look at what's coming up for big capital expenditures i try to look at the whole picture Right, and then the same thing with the minimum percent to ink the deal. And I think what he means here is, what's your minimum like cash on cash return that you're looking for to to want to do a deal? And once again, it depends. Each deal is different, right? So you'd probably think I was crazy right now if I said I'll buy a deal that has zero percent in zero uh, percent return, zero percent cash on cash. And you're like, dude, you're talking about cash flow all the time. What are you talking about? Because you're not because you just focused on the one thing, right? When I just said that, I was also thinking about what the opportunity could be. I didn't, what I didn't tell you right there and what you get for not looking at the whole picture is I'll take, I'll take 0% cash on cash return. I kicked the camera again. I'll take 0% cash on cash return. If I'm at zero and if I'm break even while the property is only 40% occupied, right? So if you have 40 units that are occupied of a hundred unit property, you're 40% occupied. And if you can break even on that deal and the market looks good. And you, you know, and you can go rent those other deals. Like, why would you not, right? Because now you just go fill those units, right? I mean, that's what we did with the storage unit deal. We essentially were breaking even day one. And so I was like, I'll do this deal because I knew if so if you just looked at your cash on cash return, that's all you looked at, you'd be like, I'm not doing this deal. But if you look at the big picture, you see, oh wait, the vacancy, the vacancy is 45%. Hey, now while I'm putting this deal together, I'm going to also negotiate in the deal right? Did, I don't know if anyone watches Undercover Billionaire, but if you saw what Grant Hardone did the other day with a $10,000 advance, it's freaking amazing. This is like what we did with the storage unit deal. With the storage unit deal, I said, I'll, t- I'll take the 0% return day one when we close. But you know what, Mr. Seller, let me do this for you. On your behalf for free from now until you know the 90 days when we close, there'll be a three-month window. Let me fill up some storage units for you. And if we don't close, you don't have to pay me anything. You just have more storage units that are full. And obviously, what happens if we close on the deal, right? Well, now we have 30 more storage units full. So by the time we actually closed the deal, we had, I don't know, we we filled a 4,000 square foot shop because we were able to market 90 days before close. I put that in the deal. We were able to put the space out there for lease. That was a a, a shop space. And we ended up getting like $1,500 a month for for rent there. And the lease started day one when we took over, right? So bang, automatically now my 0% return is up to that would have taken it, because that whole $1,500 is dropping to the bottom line. I mean, it was a triple net lease essentially. So that 1,500 bucks times 12, uh, 15,000, 3,000, $18,000 to the bottom line. So if I was at 0% on that deal, that would have taken us to a, because we only put $60,000 cash into that deal. Um, so that would have taken us to like a 33% return, right? So if you're looking at one metric, if you're looking at a minimum percentage to ink a deal, You're missing out on a lot of opportunity, is what I'm trying to say. Um, So, the more that is left, the more of the pizza that's left to eat, the more you're willing to pay for it and be okay if you don't get the first bite tomorrow. Because you know you have plenty of bites in the future for you. You like that? Uh, (laughs) I don't know where that came from. I'm hungry for pizza. So, try to look at the whole deal. If, if it's a now, now here's on the other hand, now let me talk on the other hand. If the, if the deal is full, if, uh, the, the people that are owning it have done a really good job where there's not like a lot of deferred maintenance, there's not a lot of remodel work that you can do because it doesn't, it doesn't just, it doesn't justify to do the remodel work because you can't bump, bump rents anymore. Um, if you're buying that deal, and it's full, like I said, there's not as much there's not as much pizza left to eat. you're willing to pay less for that pizza, right? well, so you're not not necessarily willing to pay less for the deal here, but you're willing to you're not willing to to take a less percentage of cash on cash return day one because you can't if you say I'm going to take two percent cash on cash day one with this <laughs> if 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 I'm going to take one percent cash on cash return for this deal, but I can't add any value. There's no more upside. I can't take that 1% and turn it into 22%, 33%, 6%, 10%, then no, I don't do that deal. Right? But I'm not just looking at the cash on cash return percentage. I'm looking at the whole picture, right? I'm probably in that scenario. I'm probably looking at, I want to be, you know, seven, depending on the location, depending on the age, I want to be somewhere between year one. I want to be somewhere between six and 12% cash-on-cash-return so that makes sense yeah. So, yeah sometimes I just feel like no one's actually listening and I just like I'm mumbling on and on and people are like Jesus this is a waste no well sometimes I'm reading like I'm reading the comments or looking into something and you're like Does that make sense for you? oh so now you're not paying attention um not fully dude this is like a this is a hundred million dollar education I know <laughs> might be more maybe more than 100 what are you looking up no look, no i mean like reading like selling paint jobs writer's also uh a sales rep for our painting company so he's selling paint jobs while he's running the while he's producing the show oh, all right what how much time are we into this uh well we started late so oh, okay all i right. mean how many, how many live followers we got Five. Five. live followers. Ava's listening. While well, she's working, hopefully, right? <laughs> just kidding, Ava. <laughs> Harry Avery on Instagram says, everybody's listening. We're just surprised it's free. That's what I just told Ryder. This is literally like, I mean, it's a hundred, some, I'm going to put a value on this. This is a hundred <laughs> billion dollars. This is Elon Musk education here. Just kidding. Not even close, guys. But I'm serious, it's like, it, it's, it's life changing yeah. for sure. All right. I think that is the next question. If you have serious money, like Elon Musk, are you investing in major markets or secondary markets? Uh, I mean, it depends on what your flavor of the day is. It depends what lollipop you like, right? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I know, I know a guy that's in a tertiary market that I mean, I used to own properties um, in a rough area, and there's a guy he owns probably 15,000 units. He's in Wisconsin. He owns probably 15,000 units total. He's probably like 55. Um, and I would say 9,000 of those units are in very, 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 very rough locations, and he's crushing it. I mean he and he's and I'm talking like serious money obviously. So I think as far as like whether it's a B C D market, whether it's a you know um a major market, a primary market, secondary, tertiary, whatever, it it just it depends because if you have serious money, there's people that have serious money doing all of those, doing one of them, doing two of them, um so it just depends and, and you have to find like what your niche is and what you want to be want to be doing. Some of these deals, writers looking at them, like I can tell you right now, you're probably gonna be knocking on doors and you might want to bring a gun with you just in case like, uh, but it's like what, you know, Hey, what do you want to get into? What do you want to have to deal with? And, um, there's a million, 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 million ways to play the game. So don't let someone tell you if you have serious money or looking to make serious money or whatever, you got to be invested in this. There's so many different ways, uh, to do it. It just depends on what works for you and, and what your business model is and um, what opportunities you're going after, you know? So next question. This guy or gal just pulled out $1 million on a cash-out refi. And his question is, his or her question is, spread the money out or go all in on one deal? I mean, if the deal is a... You know, if the deal, it, what, what's your goal, right? Are you trying to maximize what you can do with that million dollars as far as. Um... So, if I were you, this is my, if this was me, I would try to do two separate deals with a million dollars. I would put 500 into each, but I would go raise another $9.5 million on each deal from other investors. So then we could do two deals. And then my private equity company wins my $500 thousand dollars in each deal wins and all the investors win. Um, so once again it's almost what you know it almost depends like what are your options now the other the other side of the coin is if I don't have many options but I have one really good property that I know is like a for sure for sure for sure thing and it can be crazy returns then I'll just put the all million dollars all the million dollars in and and go win on that deal now, if you're saying, should I spread the money out, like put some into a deal and keep some personally, I can tell you right now, I'm putting the full million dollars to work. Like when I when I have cash, it gets to a point where I'm like, I'm immediately putting it to work so that I have to go to work to get my next dollar in my bank account, because I go to zero, not quite to zero, but I mean, I go close to zero in relative terms um, when I write these checks and go into the deals. So, so just kind of depends what your goals are, depends what your options are. Um, But if you find a winner, like go all in on it. If you, if you're confident in yourself and if you can, you know, kind of set up a fund structure and you can take 500 and put it over here, 500 and put it over here and do two deals and then have a private equity play in it too, where you're getting upside for performance, that's the way to go. Because when you can, when you can get returns to investors and then based off those returns, get compensation for yourself because you're, uh, succeeding there, um, that's always the way to go. Next. Can I ask a quick question? Yep. Um, Fred Biden's plan. Uh, I just heard about it. Well, one of them is raising minimum wage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would that affect rents? I I I don't know, and I mean, what I've always been saying is, with Democrats being in, there's more regulation. Right. This counts as regulation, um, and ultimately, it's going to make real estate go up, um, and and so yeah, if everyone's getting paid minimum wage. I don't know. Maybe it makes rents go up. Maybe it doesn't. I think either way, rents are gonna go up over the long term. Right. Right. Go ask your grandpa what he paid for rent on his first apartment. It's amazing. My grandpa's like, I used, you know, we were driving down Black River Falls, I think it was, and my grandpa, and my grandpa's like, see that apartment right there? I used to pay. It was like sixty-two dollars a month or something. Huh. And like, I'm like, and like, and it was in the, you know, late, you know, fifties or something like that. And um, that's where he's like, so just keep doing what you're doing long term long term they're gonna go up yeah. right I thought about that too I mean $15 like what does that even do to I, I I thought about okay well if we're hiring you know painters or you know whatever what does that potentially do the painting business I'm like I think it makes all those services go up in price yeah that's true. if that's your if that's your new base you know I, I don't know um, you know some of the job it's, it's crazy to me that they would think about raising the minimum wage that way because a lot of those minimum wage jobs aren't meant for someone that's going to college, right? Someone that has debt from college, someone that what a lot of those minimum wage jobs are to get like high school kids work, right? Younger people, you know, people who don't have opportunities work. Um, it's interesting. And I'm not saying I believe in what should be done one way or another on that topic, because on that topic, I think we'll all adjust and figure it out. But, you know, ultimately, yes, I think if they raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, it doesn't necessarily help that person at minimum wage because everything else is going to adjust anyways. So that's not that's, I guess that's not the solution to the problem, right. and I keep battling this with people all the time. The solution to the problem is get freaking understand how money works, right? Well, do you watch of at all? Uh get a segment. covered. Is he the younger dude a little bit? Yeah, he. I, think he's I I've seen clips. Maybe? Oh, maybe it's not. Sure. Kind of that. I don't know. I don't know. Did he talk about it? Did what did he say? Similar to what I said or no? It's just how how it poorly affects metropolitan city. Uh, some more things it. right and so nothing's gonna break the chain like like even like okay taxes aren't gonna fix it you can give someone all the money in the world it's it's the people that that win the lottery for 50 million dollars and are broken 12 years it's giving people money and like it that's not that's once again i'm not for or against i'm i'm for everyone going out and getting being successful people are looking at it from the wrong light like the things some of the things that are being done now are a band-aid that people think are going to work and i'm like it's ultimately not fixing the problem like you're just covering up you know you're just covering it up you're putting the dust under the rug you're not getting the dust out of the house into the garbage so they can't see it, but they can hear it. Uh, of course, one government policy leads to the next. If you raise the minimum wage, then it's going to raise the rents. So when it raises the rents, you're going to have to build affordable housing. When you have to build affordable housing, you have to tax people to build the affordable housing. When you tax and people to build the affordable housing, people move out of the city. And you have to raise taxes on the people who remain in the city. And this is how you hollow out the economy of a major metropolitan area in the United States. Only, uh- I And I mean, I agree with that. I mean, it's just a new baseline. It's a new baseline. That's all it is so it doesn't fix the underlying problem the underlying problem is people need to understand which that's why I, you know our guest that was going to come on today that's why it's cool he's doing because he's a uh what's what's the class that he teaches financial financial lit Yeah. literacy Literacy. okay i'm like what does lit stand I'm for our, financial literacy teaches in in uh and so that's it's that's why i think i go and talk in that class sometimes and I, that's why i want to have him on because um he um yeah, he's, he, he understands, Minogue understands from that standpoint, like it, a lot of these things, like they're not gonna be fixed unless people's education is fixed. So now then it's like, okay, getting the right education, right? Because now if you get a, you know, once again, if you get a banker in there, they're gonna say, hey, save your money. No, you're wrong. It's good for the bank. You need to get your money to work. You can't have your money sitting in a money market forever. You can't have your money sitting in a savings account or a checking account forever. You might as well stick it under your mattress at that point because you have what you have to do is get your money to truly work for you and you have to get assets you have got to trade your dollars for assets so everyone's everyone's eye and mindset is on the dollar let's raise let's raise minimum wage the dollar isn't the problem like you got you gotta trade the dollars you get for assets and what and I agree with what the guy said Shapiro yeah thanks. I agree with what Shapiro said on there because when you raise minimum wage all that all the you're just raising the baseline. That's all you're doing. That's not fixing a long-term problem. Will it fix the problem short-term before everything goes up? Yeah, so you're gonna be good for, I don't know, is it, is it six months? Is it 18 months? Is it 6D months? Maybe it's five years, seven years. But at some point that dust from under the rug comes back out and circles around your house in the air and goes to the furnace and messes up your furnace filters and whatever. Just get the dust out, right? And getting the dust out in this scenario is like getting people financially educated. And learning how money works and learning that you got to put your money to work it's not about like i mean i i don't i make hardly anything for a salary in relative terms to what i'm worth because i just start putting money to work when i do get it i'm not worried about what i'm what i'm bringing in like tomorrow i'm not worried about the dollar amount that i'm bringing in a week from now because i just know over the long term doing the right thing now you got you got to be able to start somewhere right so you got to you got to find a way to yes you've got to find a way to make more money but it's not about the money. You gotta be able to then save and stash that money. I don't even wanna say save, let's say stash the money in the bank and then like the guy with the million dollar refinance, find a way to put that full million dollars back to work. So now that your money is paying you while you're still working, right? You're still making like, like you're still you're still working and getting paid for that time and making your salary. But over time, the cool thing is, is now your distributions from your investments and your assets, they start to become so big the money that you're making from your assets from just waking up and walking around earth is you know 5x 10x 100x what you're making from your salary but you got to find what you love and keep doing your salary because like the moment that i feel like i feel like the moment that someone then just sits back and does nothing is when things will crumble because you're going to get in trouble or you're going to make start making poor decisions or whatever so you still got in my opinion you still got to stay busy and work but i don't know i don't know anything it's just my mindset with it it's just my opinions this how do you structure your waterfall pay schedule no we didn't um so the how we get a sip of water here how we schedule our waterfall uh six percent preferred return is paid first to all the investors meaning if you invest a million bucks you're gonna get sixty thousand dollars as the preferred return Right now, that's not guaranteed. Doesn't mean we're gonna guarantee. We don't we don't guarantee anything because the whole property, the whole thing, you could be out all your money. Right? Everything can crash and burn, you'd be out all your money. Pay a six percent preferred return with the cash that's left above and beyond that. It's a 70-30 split. 70% percent goes back to the investors pro rata, 30% comes to the general partnership. Once it's a 12% annualized return, so we've hit 12% and backfill all those years it's now a 50, 50 return, right? Or 50, 50 split between investors and the general partnership group. So that's why I was giving the advice to the guy, hey, if you can start to find other investors who don't, you know, a lot of the investors work for us, like they just have more money than they know what to do with. They know they got to put it to work. And so uh, if you can find people that need to put money to work, now you're basically gonna get paid off your $500,000 that you got in, you're gonna get paid that 6% preferred return just like they are. But now for performing and for really cranking and getting them a return, you're gonna be able to split those profits with them, right? so that's why my advice to him is: anytime you can do that, that's great. If you're good at this, it's not meant for everybody. Um, and you gotta have systems in place. You gotta have a team. You can't just you can't half-ass it. This I'm doing this full time. Like this is what I'm doing. I'm you know we're we're cranking on these properties every day, and we're you know we got teams in place and um, figuring out and solving problems. I mean, there's problems every day. Like that's why I was late to this. We're figuring out freaking problems, issues. Stuff that just sucks to deal with sometimes, right? Um, so, next. How do you learn to build a fund? Just reading books. I mean, there's books out there. Like, there's... Um, um, If you just Google private equity books, you'll probably find, like, 50 books come up. And probably, like, tw- this is my guess, 20 of them are crappy, but 30 of them are really good. And of those 30, there'll be, like, 35 paragraphs so you'll just at one point you'll, you'll read and like 30 paragraphs you'll be able to look back and be like oh this all makes sense it so like unlock your brain um, so just by reading and learning I mean go go uh, go read about Blackstone go read about KKr go read about the Carlisle group uh, I think TPG is another one go go read about those companies go read um, go read about you know how Warren Buffett got started right he how he got started and made a lot of money was because of the performance that he did on the deals when he had other people's money. Right, so the deal was, and essentially, which is essentially a fund or a private equity, one sense or another. um, And essentially, what he did was he he started investing, invested his own money, he got other people investing as well. But then, for hitting certain tiers, he got paid more. And when you do that, it's it will take a return that would have normally been you know twenty percent, and it takes your return to be more like sixty percent annually, you know whatever it might be because of the performance part. So. So that's kind of how I, I I just learned by reading. I mean, reading and then you know sketching things out on paper. You know, so you know, okay, like what would be fair? If, so I asked myself, what would be fair if, if I was an investor, you know, making a lot of money? I just needed somewhere to put my money to work. What would for sure beat the banks? What would for sure beat other investment options that are out there, um, and something that I'd be confident in that I'm not going to lose their money, right? And then I just started jotting out on paper. Okay, well, I know I know real estate. By this point, I knew real estate, right? I I'd done some deals, so I knew about what how much cash a deal would throw off and i'm like okay well if there's if this deal is going to throw off this much cash in years one through ten and then when we sell it it's going to throw off this much cash how much of that is fair to give to the investors and beyond fair i I, you know it beats anywhere else that they can put their money in my opinion except if unless let me tell it this way unless they can put that money in their own business because they'll make more money there um um but but if they're making so much money, not necessarily, I guess. Um, and then what I just started doing, I would say, okay, well, how could this, how could you divvy up these cash? How could how could you divvy up the cash? How could you divvy up the profits after they got those returns? And I'm like, okay, well, once they get a certain return, that's a good return, then the rest of that cash can be a 50-50 split for the performance, right? And for me to get there and to earn that, we have to, perf- like, we have to perform. It's not guaranteed, right? But we, we got to be able to perform on it. So... That's that's how I did. It. I mean, I'm just reading and just knowing my industry and my niche, uh, and then just being creative, being being creative with it. I didn't um, I didn't model it after one specific thing. It was just a c- accumulation of things that I read, and then me just creatively looking at and understanding how much money is is in our deals when we're when we're in them and, and done. So. We're an hour. many questions we have left? One. Yeah. Let's just do this one. you must have missed a couple or maybe they didn't no, upload. Th- there was there was four more but originally like I was thinking, okay think so those four out. we'll use for yeah I think there was like a culture one I think yeah. that'd be good for when he's yeah. there too because that's something all right most important daily things a 17 20 year old should be doing to get into real estate daily um depending on where you're starting I'm just gonna assume this person's starting at absolutely zero you got you gotta be reading books every single day um once you find something that you can really relate with or somebody, you should try to find more material that that person's writing because, because you, you don't, you can't take everyone's advice, right? So I guess I'm not gonna t- deter you from reading certain things, but you gotta read, as you start to read books, you gotta limit what you actually are gonna implement. Because if you try to implement everything that you read, you're, you're not gonna make the pro, because there's gonna be people that will be, uh, that will contradict what the other person says, right? So you got to be able to sort that stuff out, but you got to be able to read, you got to be able to read. I mean, like when I was 17 to 20, right? See, yeah, 17, 21, 22, like I was reading all the time and I was reading with the mindset that I was going to go do this at one point. Now, when I was also reading, I was actually going out and looking at deals too. So you should go out and look at deals, find, you know, single family homes, duplexes, four units, eight units, 16 units, 32 units, 64 units, 128 units to go look at, get the numbers on them, um and and start running through okay if i own this building because this is what i would do if i own this building do i really think it would cost that much to cut the grass do i really think it would cost that much to plow the snow do i really think like uh if the water is this much why why is the water that much well maybe the toilets are from the 1970s maybe we should put new low flow toilets in right so i tried to like i'd look at it on paper i'm like why is some of this stuff cost so much i'd ask the question i'd be like how could i make it cost less um so even before I had the money to do things, I was already going out looking at deals, doing those exercises so that when it became real time and not a drill, right, I was, I was ready to, to rock and roll. So that's what you've gotta be doing. You've gotta be surrounding yourself with other people who are lifting you up and encouraging you, not pulling you down and discouraging you. Um, you know, if there's seminars that you can get to, if there's online webinars you can get to, like, do it. Get out of now, now, once again, going out and doing the things that you learn is ultimately going to be most important. So, those shouldn't be the only things that you're doing. Um, when you're 17 and 20 years old, while you're also learning and doing what I just said right there, find a way to start making money. What did you, Ryder? You started, you, you made money when you were like 17, right? 14. 14. Ryder was, Ryder, can they hear you through any mic? Yeah. yeah, they can hear me. Okay. So, 30 grand through social media? You made 30 grand through social media at 14 school. throughout high school. So find a way while you're learning to make money Ryder throughout high school made 30 grand on I'm twitch or something right <laughs> playing video games damn if tom slayton's watching right now or jake mccarty like if we could have got paid to play video games i would in the i would I stop mean, showing up I to mean, high there's, school there's more to it there's a whole hour I know I know, I know I know i know i know there's more to it but but i mean i like right because you promote products yeah, right yeah, you yeah. promote other people yeah, and stuff a and a lot of brands, so yeah. yeah still you're playing video games right. you're attracting attention through playing video games it's it's a booming industry i know i i know it is i read about it so if you're 17 and 20 years old that's what i'd be doing find a way to make money whether it's flipping stuff if you're good at video games and good at promoting and branding and all that stuff you can make money on twitch or whatever find a way to make money and don't go spend it on stupid dumb stuff just stash it stash it and keep learning, and keep stashing, and keep learning, and keep stashing, and keep learning, and be frugal, and don't raise your expenses, and keep stashing, and keep learning, right? And all of a sudden, you're going to be 25 years old, and you're going to have $150,000, and now you can go all in on a deal, and it's the right deal, and you know what you're looking for, you know what you're going to be doing from a theoretical standpoint, because I say theoretical standpoint because you read it, but then once you can actually start practicing it, that's when that's when you really learn the most. You learn 10, 100x more than just from reading. But the cool thing about reading is you can avoid mistakes other people. I I, I definitely avoided a lot of mistakes that other people made that I probably would have made if I didn't. Now the thing is, is, even though I read so much, I still make mistakes. I mean, we I still make mistakes all the time. And we got a property that's like we're freaking having to put so much money in that property right now. And I'm like Jesus. But I'm doing the math on it. We're like 72% occupied. I'm like if we just stopped, you know, doing the remodels right now, we'd cash flow positively big time it's like god i just want to get that one done so we still you still run into mistakes right but i'm learning like i'm still learning so much i learn through every deal we do it's like i learned 10x more than what i already knew this deal that we're working on right now and closing on tuesday i've learned all so much from it um so that the last question you said one more that was the last question we got any more questions on uh instagram or or on YouTube? How many YouTube people we got watching right now? Five. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. Hey, solid. We've had a solid six people watch yeah. live. Six to ten people watch live each of the four shows. This is the fourth show, right? Fourth yeah. show. All right. Well, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening next or week, Wednesday. watching. Wednesday. Yep. Next Wednesday next week. 6.30 p.m. Central is the, the plan. We'll announce it we kind of fly by the seat of our pants a little bit. We'll announce it uh, next week, but we'll have a guest next week. We'll be in here, um, so it'll be cool to have some give and take with Ryder and I and uh, uh, Nick Minogue. That's the plan. Um, hopefully, we can make it happen. But thank you guys so much for joining. If you're watching on YouTube, listening on YouTube, whatever, it would, it would mean the world if you could just subscribe. If if there's anybody that you think would get value out of this, I don't want you to share this with. People that you don't think would get value out of it because i know there's a lot of people out there that think i'm stupid and you know whatever that fine if they don't think i'm gonna be stupid don't share it with them i'm not just asking you to share with anybody but if you think there's that someone that you care about if you think that they would care about this or get a lot from it please share it with them whether it's you know tagging me in on instagram or sharing the youtube page um whatever you can do get the word out um and feel free to start shooting in questions that you have, whether you're watching on Instagram right now, listening on YouTube, uh, or watching live on YouTube, feel free to shoot questions out right now for our next show. Because even though we have a guest next Wednesday night, we still will be taking questions as my guests. So that being said, guys, happy Friday, go pack, go. We'll talk to you soon. Episode four. Peace.